I'm Christian Ramirez, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm your host, Steve McPherson, and my boon companion, Callum Williams, is off gallivanting about England for a bit, but I'm very excited to welcome another British expat to the podcast, Minnesota United CEO, Chris Wright. Chris, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. How you doing? And uh, who gave Callum permission to go to England and gallivant around? I don't know. You know drink, he did... drink beer and watch games. <laughs> he didn't check in with me. <laughs> he talked about how excited he was to be back in England and, and watching the World Cup, which is mostly what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, you know, good for him. Get, get some time, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good time for him to go back as well with, um, you know, a certain level of expectations around, you know, Gareth Southgate's team and uh, what he's put together there. So, um uh, I'm not sure that you know England are going to be in the final four in the end, but <laughs> I think that the direction of uh, that team uh, is really, really encouraging. Particularly that uh, you know he's sort of selected so many young players, so he's almost like preparing for the next one through this one. Sure, um, if you get my drift. Sure. Yeah, I gave him a little bit of stick for uh, for England. You know, I was asking who he liked, and I was like, well, you know, uh, obviously England's not going to be there at the end, but you know, so. <laughs> Dark horse. <laughs> right, there's dark, your dark horse. We'll dark get into dark horses yeah. later. Dark horse. <laughs> I wanted to start by talking to you a little bit, you know, as, as uh, growing up in England, uh, I, I feel like one of the World Cup's biggest powers is drawing people into the sport itself. You know, when it comes around, everyone can get into it. Uh, I'm curious about your experience of it uh, growing up, you know, watching it on TV, sort of if it was a thing that got you into the game or it, how it sort of pulled you further into the game. Yeah, I mean, lots of lots of memories as a kid. I mean, obviously, I, I started to play the game when I was very, very young, and uh, it, it's obviously so different over in England, but you're playing in a school system, and then you're playing in a club system, and basically those run parallel. So you're, you know, with all of your schoolmates, you're you're following along your teams, your favorite teams, um, and, and then parallel to that, you're playing either for a club team outside of the professional circuit, or once you get into the professional circuit, you're sort of inside of there as well. So immediately that you get inside of the professional level over there, then obviously, you know, um, all tournaments, uh, you know, that that's, you know, the, the winning of the Premier League. It wasn't the Premier League. It was Division One back in those days, uh, whether it's sort of um, the European Cup as it was then mm-hmm. uh, or whether it's the World Cup obviously takes on a completely different significance. Um, I mean, some of my early memories... Um, I think it all sort of came together for me around sort of the 1966 World Cup team. Um, Obviously, we hosted the World Cup that year and, um, you know, we played Germany in the final. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was a very controversial goal with a a Russian linesman. Jeff Hurst scored the goal. It hit the crossbar, went down. The Russian Mm -hmm. linesman gave the goal. Um, you know, was the ball behind the line? Is you know, there's no VAR. Sure. Um, you know, <laughs> at, uh, at at that stage of the game, um, and you know, we win the World Cup at home in front of our crowd. You know, four two. Um, and there's some incredible players on on that team: Jeff Hurst, Bobby Moore, Jackie Charlton, Bobby Charlton. Um, you know, Nobby Styles, Gordon Banks in goal. Um, uh, Cohen at uh, left back. I mean, some uh, iconic names. Um, 
you know, that means so much to English football, the heritage of English football, the history of English football. But I also remember sort of World Cups, um, you know, in Mexico City and playing at altitude and watching those games. I remember the Hand of God goal mm -hmm. from, you know, Maradona. You know, sure. all of these iconic moments growing up that sort of catalyze into this... Uh, this awareness of this incredible thing that happens every four years mm -hmm. uh, that brings all of the great footballing nations around the world, you know, together to try and win it all. And, um, you know, just great memories sort of uh, even back then watching games on TV with my dad and sure. you know, my family and, you know, my teammates, um, uh, just incredible times. Yeah, I think that the element of, of getting together to watch with other people is obviously – that's a huge thing. You know, we're, we're doing some, some watch parties with Minnesota United and we're going to be out at the pubs for people early in the morning when the, when the matches are being yep. played. I know that Costa Rica games at 7 a.m. on a Sunday. So yeah. see how that goes. But I feel like that, that, that social element is a big part of it. And the world cup is one of those events where when it comes around, people get together. Uh, and I think that can really bolster uh, people's enjoyment of the sport. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually heading back to England, um, a week on Monday. Um, you know, we'll get into other world cups, I'm sure, but I'm really looking forward to, just simply going to the pubs mm -hmm. and, you know, every single time that England plays, um, you know, no different to, um, you know, the Nomad where we will be and, um, you know, some of the other sort of pubs in, in the area for our own watch parties. Um, you know, just walk into English pubs and see everybody decked out in white and red and, um, you know, scarves around their neck, you know, and supporting uh, Gareth Southgate's team. It, it's going to be fascinating. And obviously, I've got an American family. And for them to be able to walk into that environment and, you know, hear all of these accents sure. in all of these pubs um, <laughs> after a couple of beers, uh, sort of uh, supporting or um, uh, criticizing uh, their team, depending on uh, which, which way a result goes, um, is just absolutely fascinating. So I'm looking forward to uh, being part of what Callum is already enjoying yeah. you know, in, in about a week's time. Yes, maybe you'll see him over there. So. Yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> um, and I know you've also recently you've made some some trips to the World Cup. You've actually gotten to go with, uh, gotten to go and be there in person. Um, tell me a little bit about those and, you know, what's made them memorable, um, you know, some of the best experiences you've had at the actual event. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, having been in sports and the sport for so many years, um, I've actually been to every World Cup since 1990. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, you know, so... Um, you know, in some way, shape or form, I've been able to figure it out. And um, it actually started with uh, me being part of the United States Soccer Federation's bid committee, um, you know, when they were trying to get the games over here in 1994. Mm -hmm. um, and so in 1990, uh, myself and about 50 other people actually uh, went over there and met with Sepp Blatter and uh, Yao Havelange um, in Italy. Um, and we did the whole behind the scenes in the I Italian World Cup um, and got to know some incredible friends as part of that trip and the bid. Um, and it all came together again in 1994 when the World Cup was here. Those same group of people, whether or not you were awarded a bid in your city or not, we all got together in different cities around you know, the uh, United States. Mine happened to be Orlando. Um, so we stayed at the Grand Flor Floridian mm -hmm. in uh, Orlando, uh, went to all of the games in the um, the Orange Bowl, um, you know, saw the Dutch team play, the Belgian team play, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it was incredible. And a group of us swore that as long as we had our health and we had the financial resources to be able to do it, we would try to go back to every World Cup. Mm -hmm. um, ironically, I'm not going to go to this one. Um, right. Yeah, um, my, it's my mother's 95th birthday, so we're going to go over there and celebrate that and join the English guys in the pubs instead. That's important, that's important. But, um, you know, Brazil, 
last go around was absolutely incredible. Stayed down on Copacabana Beach, um, two hotels away from where um, all of the scandal began with mm-hmm. uh, with FIFA. Um, uh, prior to that, I was in uh, Johannesburg for the final. Um, Howard Webb, who visited us two weeks ago at Minnesota United, was the referee mm-hmm. uh, of that game, Spain versus Holland, 14 yellow cards <laughs> right. um, in that game. Uh, that um, And Nelson Mandela, uh, you know, came out in a wheelchair and sort of waved to the fans and just to be in the stadium. So there are, there are iconic moments that I can pick. Um, you know, from really every World Cup, whether it's the German World Cup where we had a bus and 28 of us mm-hmm. um, going to seven different locations around <laughs> Germany or going to Japan and going to Osaka um, and seeing queues and lines uh, that got on public transportation like I've never seen before but yes. so well orchestrated. Yes. And the movement of people in Japan yes. was mind-blowing to yeah, me. I mean, yeah. so you've got the games and you've got the teams and you've got everything that you're going over there for, but you're blown away by something that you would never, ever think yeah, about. Yeah, I went to um, Tokyo. You know, I, I was in Tokyo uh, at one point when I was I was living in New York and the change of waiting for the subway in New York versus when you go to Tokyo and it's like everyone lines up at the little bracket and it's a straight line. Yeah, it, I'm used to the crush of, crush. <laughs> you know, so. And I've never seen a queue yeah. like, like it in my life yeah. as I did in Osaka. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in, in every, single World Cup that we have been to, we've had uh, an incredible experience and uh, we're, we're blessed because we're part of the game and therefore we know a lot of people who have access to tickets, hotels, transportation, etc. So it, it makes it just a little bit easier because of what we do for a living. Uh, but uh, I've enjoyed that with my, my family and friends for many, many years. Yeah. And what's the, do you feel like you've gotten a sense of the, the differences in culture between how, you know, soccer or football or whatever you want to call it, is different uh, in South Africa or Japan or Brazil. Like, do you, do you being there? Does that really give you that sense of it, it unites everybody, but everybody has their own way of appreciating it as well? Yeah, and 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 with it also sort of comes, um, you know, the pressure. I mean, so when you're in mm. Brazil, I was actually at the uh, the Brazil game where they got demolished by uh, Germany. Right. Um, you know, and um, I've never. I've never seen a country party as hard as they do around all games, but then when it comes to their own team, the country shuts down, completely shuts down. And then when they get demolished by the Germans, I've never seen a country go into mourning the way that Brazil went into, you know, mourning after a demolition of their their squad in front of their own people. Um, In South Africa, it was much more of a celebration of, um, you know, everybody criticizes FIFA for the infrastructure that they make you develop around the World Cup. But um, when you see some of the, um, re- really, the, the neighborhoods in South Africa and how poor a certain segment of the population is, and yet the revitalization of a lot of areas around the stadiums that were built mm-hmm. uh, there. So it, it's it's completely different when you go to a South Africa where there is zero expectation that the team is going to win. Sure. Um, you know, the World Cup, but they're doing it for sort of other reasons. But then you go to Germany and you're in Germany for the German World Cup, then they better win it in front of their fans. (laughs) So there is this incredible balance of, um, you know, certain countries. I mean, Russia, I wouldn't have thought, has any expectations of winning, you know, the World Cup at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, you know, Putin will have poured millions and millions of rubles you know, into mm-hmm. brand new stadiums out there to be able to host uh, host the games. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about this this World Cup coming up in Russia. So, uh, who who's your favorite for the World Cup right now? 
You know, it, it's really tough for me. So I, um, you know, I, I, I try to shroud um, the choice of one with the opportunity to maybe discuss four. Sure, you could do tiers. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. And, and and so you know, if if I had to, and and I, I to be honest with you, I, I haven't even sort of closely looked at the bracket to see whether or not they would meet each other along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, the Germans have got to be my my clear favorites because I I just. Um, I've sort of studied what they do, both from a Bundesliga standpoint all the way through to their federation, how they work together, how they develop players. And they, they're, they're a machine. And in terms of the way that they play, they are coached, their style of play, the players that they develop, um, they're so incredibly difficult to sort of break down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to put them somewhere at the top of the pack. The Brazilians you can never count out because in terms of style, techniques, skills, um, they are the pick of the litter. The question is, in the final analysis, the very final analysis, can they defend? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've tended to be a little bit porous, you know, at the back, and yet going forward, they're so incredibly clever, so incredibly skillful, so um, unbelievable to watch. Um, whether or not they can defend to win the title, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just don't know. Spain, um, you know, really with with some of their older players, it's their last chance uh, with this with this group. They've got some young players that are coming through, um, but with some of their older um, players who have been around that international team, if they don't if they don't get it this time, then I think that they're going to be done for a while. They're mm-hmm. going to be in a little bit of a rebuild like um, like England. Sure. And then an outlier for me is Belgium. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if you take a look at the, the collection of players that they have, I love De Bruyne. Um, I think De Bruyne is one of the best players in the world right now and obviously playing for a great club. But I also think Coutoie is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can play as a team, um, if they can get their act together as an outlier, um, you know, they're my biggest dark horse um, for the for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's fun because you see with different teams, I've talked to a couple of people about this, how, you know, sometimes within a league, there can be kind of a dominant style in a league. Yeah. Um, you know, EPL sort of plays this way. You know, like in Italy, it's sort of this, you know, Serie A is sort of um, uh, defensive. You know, you talk about different styles. This is where you really begin to see like an entire – ethos of how you play the sport you have the german method of you know like you're talking about this yep. development and it's it's rigorous and it's deep and it's thorough and then you have the brazil uh, which has the style and the flash and the, the playmaking but you know maybe a little bit questionable on defense you see these things actually come head to head which is really exciting so yeah it is exciting it's and and you know i mean going back to belgium for whatever reason you know that defined style of play for them at the national level, at the international level, has never really come through. Mm-hmm. And and yet, I think that if you go roster for roster, um, and you look at the depth of of that team, um, I would stack them against really anybody. The, mm-hmm. the question is. You know, does it all come together for the World Cup? Yeah. Um, and we'll see. Yeah. So what about uh, Dark Horses? I mean, you put Belgium sort of on the fringe of that, that yep. sort of top end. But, like, who's somebody you think you could could just be really surprising and make a big run? You know, I, I hate to go back to my country, but um, <laughs> uh, so we had uh, we had Gareth Southgate here a couple of months ago and, um, you know, spent uh, some time with him, took him to a Timberwolves game and uh, had dinner with him uh, while he was in town. And, he, you know, he was talking about, um, 
you know, the the issues of uh, basically even sort of selecting the squad. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, uh, you know, Hart, the goalkeeper, has been sort of left out of the squad. And, you know, so he's decided definitively to, you know, leave all of these sort of experienced players at home, not all of them, uh, but um, really go with this young squad that he's developing really for um, almost like, you know, 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's interesting when you've got this young manager who's dynamic, um, is very thoughtful, very deliberate in the way that he thinks about the game, tactically so sound. Um, you just wonder whether or not, you know, he can he can get it together for them to um, almost like sort of take a run. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sort of excited to see that. Um, until last week, I actually thought France was, was going to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then obviously the incredibly disappointing result for them, right. um, you know, last week. Um, but, um, you, you know, they've gone through a massive amount of change. There's been a lot of scandal inside of, um, you know, their federation sure. um, and with players. And, and now they seem to be coming out of it. They've always had a really sort of talented, you know, group of players. Argentina, um, you know, um, nobody's really sort of talking about those guys, but, you know, with sure. Messi at any... any can't uh, count out Messi. No, you can't. <laughs> and then, you know, the team that I'm really excited to watch if he gets back and he gets healthy is Egypt. Yeah. And just... Yeah. And, and solid, Salah, yeah. yeah. And, and just seeing whether or not he can, you know, sort of get them to play. Yeah. Um, you know, incredible human being, incredible player. Um, and in a couple of weeks' time, I've got a friend coming over here to stay for um, a couple of weeks. He's um, a commentator on Sky Sports. Mm-hmm. He lives in Liverpool. Um and, you know, he thinks that, you know, he is just, you know, he is, he's the next great thing. Yeah. You know, for, for yeah. all the games. So, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see. I'm, I'm excited about seeing Egypt play if he plays and yeah. he's, he's healthy. Um, I'm excited to see whether or not Messi can take a run at it. Um, I'm excited to see what Gareth does. Um, you know, my dark horse is Belgium. Okay. All right. I like Nigeria just for the kits. Their kits look amazing. So I saw the video. I'm I'm pulling, I'm pulling <laughs> yeah. for them because I yeah. just want to see those kits. So. Yeah, got, got, got <laughs> Somebody was saying that it's you know the the amount of sales already, the pre-orders, yeah. for them, etc. Just absolutely. They sold incredible. three million in three minutes. Yeah, apparently. Incredible. And I just have I have a tab open that I just refresh every once in a while to see if yep. it's back in stock. So, yeah, uh, it hasn't happened yet. But buy me one. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the U.S. men's national team. Obviously, the U.S. not in it right now. Um, what do you think is the effects uh, of that on soccer in the U.S.? Obviously, it, it, it would have been great to have the U.S. in terms of in there in terms of uh, people watching soccer in the United States. But is it also maybe uh, something of an opportunity to address things that you know in development in the U.S. and in how the team is run? You know, every crisis is, it can be an opportunity. So, is it a chance to maybe also turn things around and, and go to another level uh, further down the road? Um, yes, and it's all of the above. Uh, um, you know, obviously a, an incredible level of disappointment on so many different levels that they're not there. And, um, you know, that, that game has been scrutinized and um, pulled apart and sort of demolished. I mean, I, f- I feel sorry for – I don't feel sorry for the coaching staff, but obviously the team was just so ill-prepared you right. know, for, for that game. Um, you know, having not got the result, then you've got to move past that and you've, then you've got to begin to sort of say, okay, what's next? And, you know, face the consequences. Uh, you know, we're not there. So um, in, the, in the end, for me, Steve, to be really honest with you, it's, it's what happens from here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not good enough. We should be there. Um, 
it's incredibly disappointing. The question is then, what is the path forward? Right. And, you know, um, how does the United States Soccer Federation sort of um, figure that? Um, you know, Ernie Stewart is a great hire. Um, you know, David Serekin right now, I know, I've known David for, you know, a long, long time. He played for me back in the Pittsburgh Spirit mm. days. Nice. Um, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, I think that we're in very, very good hands in, in this period of time. Um, I don't know what the thinking is today, you know, relative to the long term. Obviously, Ernie is long term, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll see whether or not, you know, David is, is long term. But obviously, so far, Touchwood has done a, a tremendous job with our younger players and um, is getting them to play. Um, I, I think, though, um, and there's been a lot written about it, um, a lot talked about it. It's more the system of, of, you know, how we're grooming players, how we're, um, you know, how are we developing the talent that really needs to compete on the world stage? And mm -hmm. at, at this time right now, the world stage is taking all of the focus. Right. And if, if that truly is the focus, then we've got to go back to where are these players coming from? How are they being developed? What system are they being developed in? Sure. And to a degree, um, associations, high schools, colleges, academies, um, our own league, USL, developmental league, etc., all play a role in that. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got to get it all right to even think about competing in the end with the Germans. Sure. Competing with the Spanish. Yeah. Competing with the British. Yeah. Um, we're not doing it right. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. So the question is then, who is going to change the system in which all of these great young players um, basically are developed? Mm -hmm. And that is an incredible task. Yeah. Um, but somebody's got to start it, and somebody has got to bring a team together that basically begins to address all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people talk a lot about how, you know, it's such a, the U.S., you know, if so many people, how can we not, you know, you have Iceland in, in, in the World Cup, and they're the size of, you know, some small Midwestern states or things like that. But, they, you know, that doesn't address the challenge with the fact that the size of the United States can be a hindrance in terms of yep. scouting, development, finding people. I mean, you know, Minnesota United with the with the development academy here is now pulling yep. in players, young players from all yep. over the upper yep. Midwest that, you know, there wasn't that pathway. So yep. it's a tremendous number of systems that have to start yep. all working together in a coherent way. And that's, yep. that is going to be a big challenge. But the best players in Iceland play all year round. Right. And, you know, all, all year round from the age of about eight to whenever they're entering the pros at either 18, 21, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. The United States, you've got those four years when you go to college and you're on playing for three months. Yeah. And those are the formative years. Right. And, you know, that's one big area that has just simply got to be addressed. It, yeah. it must be addressed. High school to a degree in England, when you're playing for your high school team, you can also play for your club team. Right. And so, but over here, when you're playing for your high school team, you only play for your high school team. Right. You know, you're not allowed to play anywhere else. Yeah. In England, they, they double dip. Yeah. You know, so they're they're training with their, their high school, playing for their high school, and then they're off to their club. Immediately, right. that's over. Yeah. So you've got all of these systems whereby players are just playing more. Mm -hmm. um, so they're sure. developing quicker. Um, and, you know, that's, it's a challenge because... Um, right now, it's the American way. It's the way that it's been done over here in many, many other sports, but it doesn't necessarily work, you know, in the beautiful game. Sure, sure. Um, touch briefly on, uh, you know, having uh, Francisco Calvo go into the World Cup and, uh, and and what that means for Minnesota United to have, you know, him representing, uh, you know, Minnesota United, but also, you know, Costa Rica and, and how exciting that is for him to get to represent his country. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that any time any player gets a chance to uh, sort of uh, wear the jersey, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's incredible. If you can pull on your national team jersey, wherever you're from, it's uh, an incredible honour. Um, I'm just so proud of who he is. I mean, Francisco, first of all, is an incredible man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've got to know him quite a bit, had a lot of conversations with him along the way here over the last eight months and, um, you know, as the team captain and... Um, you know, he um, is so rooted in, in who he is as a person. Yeah. And so when when a good person, you know, gets the honor of being able to do this, it's so much more meaningful, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, number one, you know, congratulations on becoming the man that he is, but secondly, having the ability and the skills, you know, to make the squad. And, you know, he's... Uh, my, my last conversation with him was, what, what's it going to be like when you walk down that tunnel with Neymar? Mm, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to walk out against Brazil. Yeah. And, and he said, well, you know, you, you could have chosen Switzerland. You yeah. Because they're in our group as well. <laughs> right, know, right, right. Tell me about <laughs> Neymar and Brazil. And, and just to think that our team captain is going to walk out against one of the teams that I've picked in my top four. Sure. You know, to, to make it all the way. And, and uh, you know, I'll be glued to the TV to see how well, you know, Los Ticos uh, play against, um, you know, the Brazilian team. But um, very proud of him, very proud of the fact that he's our team captain, um, you know, and in that the United States uh, didn't make it, you know, um, every everybody in Minnesota anyway should uh, adopt Costa Rica as their team. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, uh, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, this has been great. Uh, thanks everybody out there for joining us for the 15th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United is now on a break from league action, but is set to face fellow MLS squad Houston Dynamo in the round of 16 of the U.S. Open Cup on Monday, June 18th. That matches at 7.30 p.m. and is going to be in Houston at BBVA Compass Stadium. Uh, It's going to be streamed on ussoccer.com, so tune in there to check it out. After that, Minnesota United's next home match will celebrate Pride as we face FC Dallas on Friday, June 29th at 8 p.m. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. And you can follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow... Chris, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me <laughs> at... Uh, boy, the handle is... What at, is it now? Well, I just You had to it, change it, right? Because it used to be because of the wolves. wolves. <laughs> um, honestly, don't even know what the handle is, to be very honest with you. We'll put it in yeah, the we'll put it in the description. So, got it. Yeah, <laughs> we're not ready for our social media. So, uh, you can follow me at Steve Venturis. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>